Live from Koppel Chevrolet GMC Studios in the heart of Lincoln, America. Welcome to the Ticket Weeknights on 93.7 The Ticket and theticketfm.com. All right, welcome into Ticket Weeknights. I am Harrison Arns. I'm here with the Timeless Talks crew, and I think these guys have a full show ahead. It sounds like they got it ready, got some pregame prep going for everyone, uh, but they also got some special guests. I believe they got Coach Lepin on tonight, so I'll throw it to you guys. Where do you want to start with this? Hey, welcome back to Timeless Talks. Today, you got your host here, your boy Chris Ramsey, and my boy Nico, the Puerto Rican Schultz. And we got a very special guest in the room with us by the name of Darius Love, mm-hmm. the All American Hurdler, <clears throat> national qualifier. And on top of him coming in, we also have Coach Gary Pepin, who's coming off his 42 year retirement. He will be calling in here shortly. So, yeah, we're super excited to get this podcast going. And um, yeah, we're just awaiting his call right now. So, Chris, you want to start things off? Kinda, yeah, man. I know yeah. he's going to call soon, but let's... Uh, no, we got Coach Lepin on now if you want oh, to start. Oh, Pepin, now? yeah, okay. let's tap in yeah, with him. Or right. Pepin, excuse me. You there you did. <laughs> Coach Pepin, you still there? Oh, yeah, I'm still here. Yes, sir. <laughs> it's good to hear your voice, man. Let's go ahead and get it started. My boy Nico wants to go ahead and bring you in tonight, if that's all right with you. Um, yeah, well, let's get go Sure, I got a question first, though. So, Who's the who's the head coach of this group between Nico and Darius and yourself, Chris? <laughs> oh man, I mean, um, <laughs> I mean, I guess I would say right now as a head coach, I I was the one who got in contact with you and we were texting to get you on the show. So yeah, I guess I'll take that role. I was the head coach for getting this one orchestrated. <laughs> I don't know, I don't know. Well, I mean, I got re- Darius. The so, reason yeah. that I ask is because uh, I thought Chris was going to send me a financial contract in the mail and i've never gotten it yet oh man if you want that contract i actually i would i would be better to bring it to you in person you know we could probably meet up on coffee or something you know go out and do some skating you know get a little talking you know get some sweetness before the contract signing i feel like that would be nice right. for us. right yes sir yes sir go ahead nico start us okay, up okay guys glad to be on what can i do for you yeah awesome thank you coach before i got you on here i really did my research on you and to bring you in i mean going over your accomplishments first and foremost i want to congratulate you on an amazing and extraordinary career 42 years at the university of nebraska 73 combined indoor and outdoor conference titles 2000 you were inducted into the hall of fame in 2008 Crazy. um through 81 82 83 84 consistent consistent national champions um, 59 individual national champions, 600 individual conference champions, and 639 All-Americans. So you really left your mark here at the University of Nebraska-Lincoln. Yeah. But to start things off, I just want to ask you, how's your retirement going so far, man? How has you know, the retirement life been treating you and this next chapter of your life? Well, I haven't had a vacation in I don't know how long. I suppose it's been seven, eight, ten years or something like that. <laughs> So uh, it, it's kind of been like a vacation, and I'm getting an opportunity to uh, uh, do a lot of honeydews and, and uh, just a lot of things around the house that uh, that I have neglected to get to for a long time. Yeah. <laughs> hey, that's good. I mean, that's good, though. It's good that you're getting some time for yourself, you know, getting some time to get off your feet, relax a little bit, and just, like, enjoy whatever it is that, I mean, you've been wanting to enjoy outside of, you know, coaching. I mean, like Nico said, you have a lot of accolades. I mean, you literally (laughs) built our program from the ground up. It sounds like like you've been phenomenal. So we do appreciate everything. Um, But a question I also wanted to ask you was, I mean, looking back on your whole, like your coaching experience, what's uh, a moment in your coaching experience that like highlighted everything for you that made you think, okay, this is what I want to continue doing for the rest of my time here at Nebraska? 
Well, I, I I suppose, you know, I started off coaching for about five years in high school and, and uh, uh, virtually coached every sport. And the first sport I coached was volleyball. Uh, I probably should have stayed with that. I could have made a lot more money. Uh, but in my, in my first job in coaching volleyball, uh, I'd never seen a volleyball match. I knew absolutely nothing about volleyball, so that career was short-lived. Uh, but... I, I don't. I don't know that I could say that there was necessarily one time. You know, yeah. uh, I've always been uh, a, a person as a coach that philosophically is really interested in teams, okay. and uh, so uh, team meets, uh, which would exclude the national championships because I don't really see those as teammates as team championships. You can have just a small number of people and and do well, but in a, a, a dual meet or a conference meet, uh, a meet like that, a team is really important. And I suppose one of the most exciting one was uh, there was a year when our men and women went out to Oregon, mm. and we dueled Oregon's women and dueled Oregon's men, and we won both of those meets. And I don't know that, that maybe that had never been done before. It hadn't been done since, but that was a, a, a very fun meet because – Everybody that went, regardless of how uh, talented they were, they were really important in that team victory, and it meant a lot to those people that went and won that championship. And I suppose the next one was, of course, we had the, an athlete here that uh, that I feel is probably the best athlete uh, that was ever at the University of Nebraska, and that was Merlene Audie. Mm. And Merlene Audie, uh, her senior year, uh, in the national championships and like a hundred degrees weather in Houston, Texas. So you can imagine Jeez. what that was like. Uh, ran, uh, ran rounds of the hundred, 200, 400 and the sprint relay. Wow. And wow. on the last event, and she scored high in all those won the hundred, uh, was fourth in the 400. I think maybe where we were second in the four by one, but the last of the event of the day, was a 200-meter race at that time. And it came down, and Merlene only lost one 200 ever in her career, and that was her junior year to Flojo. So it came down in the finals to Flojo and Merlene, and they came off the curve together. They ran all the way the the same down the straightaway, and Merlene beat her on the lean in the 200 meters. So that was uh, quite a tribute to her and, and great excitement. But there. There've been lots of great meets and stuff. Yeah, that's amazing, Coach. Um, to give you a little context, so my dad was actually born in 1982, and you came the the year prior. Do you think you could talk about the you know the 80s and what kind of like the time period was like in, in track and field? I, I remember last year in a track meeting, you mentioned how there used to be this big coliseum, and you know they would fill it all the way to get the stadium sold out just to watch these track and field meets. So you can you kind of talk about um, the, what the culture was like in the 1980s and kind of transition up until what it's become today? Yeah, yeah, you know it it really has changed. Uh, it's changed a, a great deal. Uh, and the reference that uh, uh, that you made was to the dual meet between UCLA and um, uh, USC. And that was probably in the 60s at that time. Oh, man. But they had 80,000 spectators for a dual meet. Dang, wow. I've never seen those numbers. <laughs> that is 80,000. So that sounds like the pin relays or something. Yeah. And 
uh, back when I first started at, at college coaching at the University of Kansas, uh, there was, well, I have to go back a little ways to explain this as to why, and then you'll have a better understanding. Okay. In, certainly in the 60s, I don't remember exactly when, but scholarships for men and and probably before that in track and field were unlimited. Well, so uh, a school beautiful. could have as many scholarships for track and field as the athletic director would give the track program. Well, the University of Kansas and USC had more scholarships than anybody. And they, of course, had great, great teams. Yeah. Well, when I went to KU about the early 70s, they, they changed that rule, and it went to uh, 24 scholarships for the men, which was great. I mean, and you could still, you know, field a, a pretty doggone complete team with all the events then. Yeah. Well, the NCAA and the coaches screwed up. Because one of the things they didn't do, they never gave scholarships for just cross-country. So cross-country is the only sport in the NCAA with a national championship that has no scholarships. So what that means, then, if, if as a track coach, uh, you're trying to have a good overall team and you're going to give a scholarship to a distance runner and he happens to be a cross-country runner – he better be a heck of a track athlete Dang. or you're, you're, you're not getting any bangs for your buck in track and field for that guy. Well, what that, what that did, and I'll step, take a couple steps further, two or three years later, that number went, and when, when, when it went to 24, we thought, oh, man, that's terrible. Well, about, oh, three or four years later, it went to 14, and we thought, Another boy, that, that is really difficult. Right. Well, so then – what happened is in the 70s and maybe the first of the 80s, dual meets in the United States were big, big deals, uh, particularly big on the West Coast, but big across the country. And one of the reasons for that, people in the United States like to see a score. They, they want to know, whatever the sport is, who, who won the meet. Yeah, they, right. they don't want to just say, I come back from a meet and say, well, we had a pretty good meet. We had a couple pole vaulters that did this or our relay got They want to know what was the score of that meet. Yeah. And that has, that has really, really hurt our sport and attendance-wise and all those kind of things. And with only 12 and a half scholarships for the men, it is really, really difficult to field a full team. And I had always hoped to have a full team in that you had some outstanding people but you also tried to fill out all of the events that were Olympic events on your team and that those good people had a second or a third good person to train with. So they yeah. had good training partners. Well, when it went to 12 and a half, now that not only made it difficult, a lot of the coaches out there decided, well, we're, we're, we're really not interested in having a whole team we're just going to emphasize a certain area, be it sprint, be it the distance area. And so the dual meets just kind of lost favor with people. Plus, if you have to go out and recruit a lot of people on small scholarships or no scholarships, that's a lot, a lot of work. Yeah. And a lot of coaches out there, they, they didn't want to spend their time doing that. So as, as, a, as a result of that, uh, that's one of the things that has, has really changed. We used to have 
uh, great dual meets with K-State every year at the very end of the year. That was a, a terrific meet. And in Cliff Revelto, who's the coach at K-State and a good friend of mine, he got to the point where uh, he just couldn't field uh, teams that had a chance to win the conference at K-State. So he pretty much just gave up even on the conference meet Dang. and decided, okay, we're just going to go out and get a few great people and try to do well at the national meet. So that has been a big change. Another two big changes are the number of women coaches that are out there now, which is terrific. And and even a, a huge one is the number of minority coaches that are out there now. When, in the early 70s, there were very few minority coaches involved unless you went to the predominantly all-black schools in the South or maybe down in Texas. And I always thought to myself, my gosh, why aren't there more black coaches here with all of the black athletes that are competing? (laughs) And so that part of it, that part of it is, it really improved and gotten a lot better. Yeah, yeah. That's that's truly amazing, Coach. I mean, hearing what stuff was like back then is, is, is really crazy, especially coming from you. I mean, like I said, 42 years is nothing to look past upon. I mean, yeah. you really rode with the punches from, from the 80s all the way up until present day. Um, One thing I wanted to address on, so, you know, having a coaching career that is 42 years long comes with a lot of knowledge. Uh, but a challenge that I wanted to kind of hear you talk about was, so as you're getting older, it seems as though the athletes just keep on getting younger and younger and things keep on moving. There's a lot of moving parts in track and field. So how do you maintain a good relationship with your athletes? We you know when there's times where you're, you know, 20, 30, maybe even 40 years older than you're the, the athletes that you're coaching. What are yeah. some things or steps that you try to do to maintain a good relationship when it comes to recruiting your athletes, keeping everybody happy on the team? Could you kind of talk to us and walk us through that? Well, I, I think, first of all, it, it's uh, next to impossible to keep everybody happy on right. the team That's for fair. all kinds of, of reasons. I mean, you want people to be happy, and you want them to enjoy the program, and you want them to like their coaches. You want them to have success. And most of, important of all, you certainly want them to get a degree and do something highly successful with their lives so they'll be productive citizens once they get out, out of school. Uh, I've had in in recent years now athletes on the team uh, who are the sons or daughters of athletes that I had here before. Well, that is crazy. That, wow. That's well, in some ways, yeah, that makes you certainly start feeling a little, little bit older. Just but also, bit. it it it's a tribute that those people that were here in the past. Uh, had a good experience while they were here. Yeah. And I, I've i always hoped that if somebody was in our program, that everything's not going to be perfect by any means at all, and there are going to be good times and bad times. But 10, 15 years, once they get out of school, they can reflect back on the program here and uh, their tenure at Nebraska and feel like that was a, that was really a good choice for me. I, I I had a great experience there. People were fair with me and, and that sort of thing. Then to answer your question, uh, I guess a little bit, have the have the athletes changed? Yeah, one of the biggest changes, of course, in the 70s, uh, it started becoming uh, much uh, more um, academically difficult to get in school. Mm. Because when I was, at, when I was uh, first at KU, uh, we had athletes there that today, great athletes there, by the way, not just good. I'm talking about Olympians there. 
that couldn't have got into school today. And part of the reason was that those requirements weren't in place because they, they certainly wanted to continue with track and field. And that's been one of the, the negative things in the United States that once uh, you get out of high school, uh, if you're not good enough to get a scholarship or even goes further than that, let's say that you were real good in college, but you weren't Carl Lewis or a superstar, track and field kind of ends for you. Yeah. Uh, I had a guy at KU that was one of the best long jumpers in the world, like fourth in the world. He beat the Soviet Union. Absolute great jumper. When he graduated from college, it absolutely all ended for him. There were no clubs, nobody to pick him up. If he had been in all kinds of other different countries around the world, he would have still been jumping and stuff. Dang. But but so uh, uh, it's, it, it's very difficult, and as far as the kids changing, I think, yeah, most all of the kids that I have seen in the last few years come to the University of Nebraska, uh, regardless of their athleticism, they want to get a degree. And that's great. That's because that's what it's all about. We don't know how long track and field's even going to last for somebody. You know, you could be riding your bike and be the, the number one kid in the United States and get hit by a car and it all ends. So <laughs> you better have something else to, to fall back on. Yeah. But I think that part has been a change. In, in terms of uh, the athlete's dedication and hard work and all those kind of things, I, I haven't seen much of a change at all with that. And, and I, I know personally uh, uh, that for, for me, uh, I always felt like that when the, when the time came uh, that I didn't want to continue to learn more about the events that I was coaching uh, or I felt like that I wasn't doing uh, as good a job uh, as what the program uh, should acquire or whatever, that was probably time to get out of it. And I think that the last few years that I coached, uh, that I did a better job. I'm not necessarily saying that I had better athletes, but I did a better job coaching uh, and relating to kids than what I did for the other 40-some years or 50-some years or whatever. And I think part of that is, Part of that is just growth as an adult and, yeah. and trying to be more patient and and all those kind of things. Even with a guy like Chris. <laughs> all right, all right. I know I caused some problems, but it wasn't that no, bad. No, you problem at all, Chris. <laughs> <laughs> I appreciate that, Coach. I mean, yeah, I mean, You're a good I, guy. thank you. I, I really do appreciate that because, um, I mean, we have Darius Love here today, and I mean, we were talking about earlier. Without him, I mean, I wouldn't even be on the team. So when it comes to, I mean, you being the coach, I mean, I really appreciate you giving me the opportunity to walk on. And then if I did have any issues or anything, I appreciate you uh, being patient with me. I'm glad you went through those 43 years so you could, like, be patient with me and allow me to keep, um, like, showing that I could, you know, prove myself and be a part of the track and field team. Um, you, I mean, for me, and then I, I feel like I speak for everyone else. Like you made a huge impact in all of our lives when it comes to both the team and our growth as individuals, both uh, men and women. And every every event on the track, I mean, 
Darius, man, how how you feel about coach, man? How you feel about your coach, bro? Man, I got I got a little story about Pepin I could tell. Let's have Oh, oh boy. So when I was getting recruited, I hope it can be said over the radio. Oh, it's oh, all yeah. good. We'll, yeah, it's, we're it's nothing fine. Bad, PG thirteen. Uh, so when I was getting recruited, uh, I had a home visit with Dusty, Coach Jonas, uh, and Pepin, and um, as soon as we got there, we sat down at the kitchen table and Dusty. You know, we had small talk, and then Dusty wanted to get right to the numbers and kind of business side. <laughs> Pepin didn't talk about numbers, business the entire time. He, the one thing he focused on was my mom's garden. Uh, <laughs> and Pepin's smart because he sold my mom on him, and that's really what kind of ended up making the decisions because my mom liked him so much. So he's smart. He didn't play with the numbers or anything yeah. or talk about business. He just sold my mom he's a on that matters. he was a good person, <laughs> and, and it worked out. So. <laughs> Hey. Well, Darius, you, you have really made a, a very positive impact on the team and worked hard and, and a lot of dedication and have been a great guy to work with, and, and you've had a heck of a career to this point. Thank you, Coach. I Thank appreciate you. that. I Thank appreciate you, Coach. That. Oh, you know, let, let, let me mention one thing. What, one thing that, that uh, has changed, and I want to bring this up, that, that is, has always bothered me a little bit. You know, we – we have this issue now with gender equity and numbers, mm. how many people we can have. Right. And uh, I've always felt like that if somebody particularly is from our state, from Nebraska, and they're a pretty good athlete, that they ought to be given an opportunity to at least try out to see if they can help the team. Because they're, they're native people, and through the years, gosh, there's just been so many people that weren't particularly – stars in high school by any means yeah. but became really really good athletes and now uh with the the gender equity deal that that that's getting really tough and and a kind of difficult pill to swallow yeah that that i i i honestly i see where you're coming from with that i mean it's it's crazy especially looking at like all the all the other athletes and all the other sports and, and how we have to allocate and change like when it comes to track and field um but uh coach we have to go into a break really quick so if you you could either tap in stay with us or we could go ahead and wrap it up but we do appreciate you coming on the line we appreciate you being a part of timeless talks tonight and we appreciate everything you've done for not only the track team but us as individuals us as people and the university as a whole Oh yeah, thank well, you. Well, thanks much, and and, and uh, what you're doing here, I think, is really good for our sport. So, congratulations for your work. Thank you so much. Thank you, Coach. Really appreciate it. Forgot to turn my mic on. Yeah, that was Co Coach Pepin. Uh, that was great to have him on there. Uh, like I said, though, we will keep going with this show. We got a couple more segments up ahead. Uh, like I said, I think these guys got plenty to talk about. Like I said, we got Nico Schultz, Darius Luff, Chris Ramsey. We will keep this thing going right here on 93.7 The Ticket right after this.